0: Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Last year, Allison introduced me to Rebus puzzles, and now I'm addicted. I love the challenge behind the puzzle, the minutes spent trying to solve the riddle, the relief that follows a challenge met. But what about when the answer never comes? While I love Rebus puzzles, there are some that stump me. No matter how long I look at the picture, no matter how many times I say it in my head or even out loud, if I'm being honest, I just can't get it. I can't solve the puzzle and I can't break the code. Picture that on a bigger scale, where more is on the line where the thrill of solving a puzzle might come hand in hand with solving a case. The stakes increase when someone's life's on the line. The FBI has entire units dedicated to cracking codes, people who are responsible for deciphering the riddle and turning what looks like a jumbled mess into coherent words and phrases. According to FBI experts, there are four simple rules to breaking codes. 1. Determine the language. That allows you to compare the text to a specific language. 2. Determine the system. Are the words rearranged? Maybe they take on new meanings? Is something a substitute? 3. Reconstruct the key. This is crucial, because without that, you can't achieve number 4, which is to put the riddle into plain text. So what happens when you can't get past step 2? There are few codes that cross FBI desks that can't be solved. and today's case, is one that's puzzled FBI agents for years. When a man is found dead in a field and is so badly decomposed, his fingers are falling off, a coded note in his pocket might hold the clues to find his killer. But this code isn't like the others. This code's been passed from agent to agent with no luck. Even after it was made public, few helpful hints have come in. You know the drill sleuth hounds. Let's break this code. This is the story of Ricky McCormick. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases podcast. Because, as we all know, conversation helps to keep the missing person in the public consciousness, helping keep their memories alive. So, sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week.
2: All right, sleuth hounds, we are in the final stretch. If you are a longtime listener of ours, you know where the next 15 seconds of this episode is going. If you're a new listener, welcome to our show. Maggie and I have been trying for quite a bit to get to 150 ratings on Apple Podcast. We are tantalizingly close with 141 ratings. Being teachers, Maggie and I appreciate the hard work that goes into achieving a long-term goal. And we are so thankful that because of you all, we are so close to checking a goal off of the list coffee in cases while we are close we still aren't there yet so if you're listening and you like what you're hearing rate us it only takes a second to click that five star rating and just a few seconds longer to tell us what you like most in a written review keep sharing sleuth hounds and pretty soon you will stop hearing us beg each week for these ratings Just make sure that you follow us on social media, Coffee and Cases Podcast on Facebook or at Coffee Cases Podcast on Instagram. Or as always, listen in each week to know when that bonus episode will air. Now, let's get into our show.
1: On a warm summer's day in June, the body of Ricky McCormick was found between a cornfield and a road in St. Charles County, Missouri. When police arrived on the scene, they found a five-foot, six-inch tall man in stained nasty blue jeans and a dirty white t-shirt. And he was so badly decomposed that the flesh on his hand was so rotten that his fingertips were falling off and were laying in the grass next to him. And that body
2: was identified as Ricky McCormick. So, how long does it take for a body to decompose like that? So, I didn't, like, look up that specific question, and
1: now I'm going to do that on my phone. But, um like, I do know that he wasn't out there long enough to do that.
2: Oh. I, don't I didn't know. know if, like, where you said it was a summer's day in June, I didn't know if, like, Heat would make it well
1: faster. Um, they so not to give too much away, but they basically say that if it was just normal circumstances, that he would not have been
2: to the state that he was. Okay, so immediately they know something is odd, right? Okay. So, the investigators were confused by the fact
1: that Ricky's body was discovered more than 20 miles, or that's like around 32 kilometers from his home, because he didn't drive, he didn't own a vehicle, and he was reliant on public transportation, and that was not available in the area where his body was found.
2: Yeah, 20 miles isn't like you're going out for a stroll.
1: Yeah, I'm going to walk 20 miles and be back in a couple of (laughs) hours. Right. So, um, police were actually very familiar with this area, um, in fact, um, and you all know me, I cannot pronounce names, so, <laughs> <laughs> in an article by Christopher, we talked about this before the show, I'm gonna go with Trito, but yeah, from now on, Trito, Trito, but we're just going to call refer to him as Christopher because I cite his article quite a bit and it has a long title. So it's just easier if I just say in the article that Christopher wrote. So y'all know who I'm talking
2: about. <laughs> so we're on a first name basis for this yeah. episode with this author. Yes.
1: Um, but that article is called code dead to the encrypted writings of Ricky McCormick hold the key to his mysterious death. Now you all know why I just want to say in the article by Christopher, because that's really long. Well. Um, in 1995, authorities discovered a bullet-ridden body of an alleged prostitute that was in an abandoned house along that same stretch of road. And then, two years after Ricky's death, state crews were like just mowing the grass along the roadway. And about 300 yards from um, where they found Ricky, they found two nude women who were dead. What? So like, yeah. So like, essentially, this it was like just a dumping ground for dead bodies. Okay. So, not the best of areas. No. So, Ricky's body was sent away for an autopsy. Um, But what the examiner found left police even more puzzled. So, as I mentioned before, and we, you know, talked about it a little, Ricky was badly decomposed. Um, His fingertips from the knuckle down had started to already fall off. Um, But Ricky had only been missing... Well, Ricky was never actually officially reported missing, but the last sighting of Ricky was three days, like two or three days before his body was found. You should see the look on my face.
2: (laughs) So in two to three days, there's that level of decomposition. Yeah,
1: and they said that, like, there wasn't any, like, extremely hot days. Like, it was just an average June day. There wasn't any, like, real rain or anything like that that would have kind of pushed it along so they thought that maybe um he was like kept in a trunk of someone's car or maybe like in a metal um storage shed or something and then dumped Mm -hmm. there but i still feel like that's a very quick well like i said i'm not hundred percent sure but yeah so the autopsy doesn't really give away much they're unable to determine his cause of death um, and they blame the heavy decay as part of that um, pathologists do eventually rule ricky's death as undetermined which okay like right <laughs> everything is i feel exactly. like <laughs> but um, police aren't satisfied with that ruling and they're for sure that ricky was a victim of foul play
2: uh, yeah, because, I mean, that's not natural
1: to decay in three days. Right. Like that alone, I feel like there has to be something more involved than just right. you had a heart attack on the side of the road. Right. So despite checking Ricky, his surroundings, and interviewing, like, his family, his friends, and his girlfriend, um, they don't really get any, like, significant leads. And pretty soon, Ricky's case is put on the back burner, you know, as more cases come into, like, the office and stuff. So, with little to go on, police just kind of begin building an investigation around Ricky's past. Like, trying to find out who this guy is. And they find some pretty, like, weird, to say the least, stuff oh, about no. Ricky. So, Ricky oh, is a high school no. dropout.
2: Okay. Which,
1: which you know, that does not defy right. you know determine your future right. he was for most intents and purposes unemployed also this is kind of embarrassing but you know what I'll tell you guys so I was like basically yesterday's old that's how when I found this out that is okay. it is for intent for most intents and purposes not in like I had been saying that wrong my whole life
2: what have you said
1: I think I'm part of, I mean like Intensive purposes or something like I've been saying that wrong my whole life, and when I typed it in, I was like, I know that this isn't wrong, and then I was like, Holy crap, I'm so stupid, and I teach English.
2: <laughs> That's so funny. So I know okay. I have students all the time, and they'll type something, and they're like, like um, a lot when they make new the words, yeah, or like instead of saying whether they say rather. That's weird. Like, they'll say, instead of whether or not, they'll say rather, and I'm like, what? This is like, That's funny. What are you saying? Yeah. So, so he's all ever, intents and purposes. Yeah.
1: Not all <laughs> intents and purposes. <laughs> um, he's unemployed, or was unemployed. He was unmarried, um, and he was the father of four children, which we will talk about
2: more in depth in a little bit. So, I feel like what you told me so far... I mean, if he's not in school and he's not employed anywhere, then there really wouldn't... I wouldn't think there'd be, like, a wide range of people who he would come in contact with every day.
1: Yeah, and I read his age, and he's not, like, wasn't, you know, like, old, but he wasn't, like, super young. I'm going to have to remember um, how old he was. He was 41, so it's not like he's, like, super old or super young, but, like... You should be established at the age of 41, and he just kind of wasn't. And we talk about that, or I'll talk about that in just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, So he wasn't like most people his age. Um, In fact, his mother used one of the words that, like, I hate the most. There's a gigantic dictionary, so why choose this word? But his mother describes him as retarded. And the only reason I'm saying it is because that's a direct quote from her.
2: Um,
1: And I don't... And, like... Obviously, people use it not the correct way. Even I just feel like you shouldn't use it. There's other ways to describe people in general, but I'm sure she meant he was just slow. um, Because in most every article that I read, um, Ricky was described as barely getting by in school, as falling through the cracks, or being just kind of pushed along from grade to grade until he eventually dropped out.
2: Okay. So there were like. Sadly.
1: Yeah, and I mean, like, you don't really think about it until you're in that situation. But, you know, by the time kids are in high school, you know, we've Mm -hmm. seen they've kind of just been pushed along and stuff like that. And it is Mm -hmm. it is sad. Um, Mm -hmm. But some people said that he couldn't read or write. And then other places said that it was like on a very, like, childish level that he could read or write and that he was socially awkward and not meaning like sheldon cooper socially socially awkward like doesn't mm-hmm. know how to do social things but like just kind of like he would isolate himself he would stand alone on the playground and kind of ignore when the other kids tried to include him Oh mm-hmm. no! yeah and like again being teachers we see that side of things too and I feel like if COVID has taught us anything it's taught us to value friendships and social interactions because they've been so limited agreed and and you know I know that you see this at your school and I do at mine as well that there are There always seems to be kids who appear to be alone, like they're in the lunch line alone and like there's conversations happening around them, but they're not like included in the conversations or on, you know, at dismissal when they're waiting on the bus, like the same situation. And like every day you want them to find a friend and like, you know, your heart breaks a little when that cycle repeats the next day for that kid. And I think that kid was Ricky. Mm. And his teachers at times did reach out to his family just to see, you know, kind of what was going on. But I mean, like, from what I can tell, obviously, I don't think he had, like, the most normal or best home life. Like, I didn't really read anything about that. But I mean, if you describe your kid as retarded. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's not. It's
1: not a good sign.
2: No, it's not so now it makes sense the unemployment yeah because if he doesn't have the reading or writing ability you know to like fill out an application or Or to even have an interview right and and where he would isolate himself you know i i get that now And he did have one cousin, um, Charles,
1: that he was close to. They were um, like brothers. And Charles said that um, Ricky almost lived like in another world. Like he would often talk to himself or talk about things that didn't really make sense. Um, And He kind of argues that Ricky probably had like untreated bipolar disorder or maybe even schizophrenia. And so I kind of think, you know, something like that went untreated that only plays into like that person being even more isolated because I think right. kids don't really know how to,
2: like, handle that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think talking to yourself... I would hope doesn't indicate mental disorder because I, know, I talk to
1: but, all the time. I was <laughs> going to say because um, I talk to myself all the time, especially if Anthony's like still at work. Because right now uh, my district is virtual. A lot of districts in Kentucky are still part way in person, and so like um, Anthony, if he's like at the at the office, I'm like. Okay, Maggie, let's check our emails and
2: see if (laughs) the have emailed us, so I get it. I know. Or like, I'll even sing. It's so bizarre. It's so weird. I know if anybody heard me, I will be like, let's see if anyone has texted me. (laughs) Or like, I was walking to get the microphone to record. And I'm doing a horrible, horrible attempt at a British accent, but I was I looked at Rodney and I was like, I'm going to go get to my microphone and then I'm going to record. <laughs> like yeah. just like I have no idea why I do it. So anyway, but obviously what Ricky did was to an extreme. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which like
1: Sometimes I'll do that at school, too. And, like, I'm sure the kids are like, oh, my God, this woman is crazy. Because I'll be
2: like, get out your pizza. <laughs> They're probably like, oh, my
1: God. I oh, know.
2: So, basically, Sleuthowns, we're weird.
1: Yeah. So, now you guys know. That's
2: the best. <laughs> you know. So, this is why we're friends. Yeah,
1: basically. <laughs> so, according to the Christopher article... So there we are again.
2: Right.
1: Ricky's aunt Gloria um, said that Ricky did actually go see a psychiatrist and like, I just feel like this is really weird what she said The psychiatrist said, but basically he said that Ricky had a brick wall in his mind. And Christopher Mm quotes Gloria as saying, quote, he said, Ricky refused to break the wall. He didn't like the life of living poor and had an active imagination, end quote. And I promise that like, this much backstory will kind of make sense when we get further into like the actual case. Mm -hmm. But again, just kind of oddities that he has. Okay. So I did say that Ricky was basically unemployed and he was, um, he did hold down like, you know, a few side jobs from time to time. Um, at one point he was uh, like, he mopped floors. Um, he was a dishwasher. He was a busboy. Um, he worked at a service station. Um, but Ricky also drew a disability check for a chronic heart con- a chronic heart condition, and mm-hmm. maybe because you know Ricky preferred to be alone, or maybe it just fit his lifestyle better. He, when he was working, he preferred to work the night shift. And in that Christopher article, his aunt actually said that he was a vampire because he would sleep all day and then come up with the sun. And I feel like oh, that's man. kind of yeah, they're kind oh. of things. oh man. But I do feel like that's true of a lot of people that don't have, like, um, a very big social life. I do feel like they tend to sleep more during the day and then be up yeah. at nighttime. time. Like, i kind of just seen that as a trend. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, anybody that knows me, you know that I love to sleep. I don't obviously stay up all night because, again, I love to sleep. But, like, if my day could just naturally start at 10 o'clock, like, I would be the world's happiest person. Like, I need <laughs> at least, like... I mean, during the school night, I probably are week. I probably get like six to seven and a half hours of sleep. But on the weekends, my husband and I don't have kids right now and I take advantage of it. Like if I'm rolling out of bed <laughs> at 12 o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday, I'm like, oh, yes, success.
2: <laughs> success, <is> so good. <laughs>
1: I, I love it. But I don't think I would be described as a vampire.
2: No, no, I could never. But you know what's weird? So obviously, Towns, Maggie and I are a lot alike in a lot of ways. Um, that's one where we're not alike. I'm a morning person. I could see that for you. Yeah, I'm. You know, when I my alarm goes off and I get up at you know five thirty, six o'clock. Because don't you cook? Um, are you a breakfast cooker? Like you cook breakfast sometimes? Sometimes, but once I'm awake, once I roll out of bed, I'm awake.
1: I do say, though, I do have to say, though, like the older I get, the more guilty I feel the longer I lay in bed.
2: Oh, don't feel guilty sleeping. Uh, I
1: know. I am Like, I'll catch myself on Saturdays, like making myself get up at like nine or 10. And then I'm, because <laughs> I feel so bad. Cause I'm like, I'm an adult now. Like, I should be doing laundry or like cleaning something. <laughs>
2: no. You need the rest. But I, the, uh, the last thing I would call you though is a vampire because okay. of your. That's, Must that's be all
1: knows. I Thank you. <laughs> so, um, something that I think does kind of hold a little bit of significance in this case is the fact that Ricky didn't have his driver's license, so he had to hitchhike. Um, and mm-hmm. we know, you know, most of that a lot of the cases that we read about or that we've covered, people that are hitchhikers tend to meet nasty ends some of the time.
2: Right.
1: But, um, I didn't really read anywhere where police speculated Ricky's incident was, like, a hitchhiking adventure gone wrong. Hmm. So, so far, I feel like Ricky's life, you know, has been a little odd. Right. But now, the ghosts in Ricky's closet are about to start emerging, because we're about to start talking about how Ricky became a daddy.
2: Oh, no. Okay. So, in
1: November of 1992, Ricky found himself in court facing charges of first-degree sexual abuse. Oh, no. Because the mother of Ricky's children was a girl he'd been sleeping with since she was 11.
2: (gasps) Yes. Oh, my. That is, no, no, mm mm-mm. And, like... Wow.
1: So, it gets even weirder, because in some of the articles that I read, like, okay, when she's 11, like, I was playing with Barbies at 11, so, like, that's gross. Um, But a bunch of the articles that I read Mm. said that, like, Ricky's mom and aunt knew this girl by her nickname which is pretty baby so i don't know like is that a nickname That's even more
2: disturbing i
1: know is that a nickname he gave her or like is that a nickname like oh like my aunt like my family calls me Gee because i don't know why but they do so like is it a nickname like everybody called her that oh. or like was that his pet name for her because if it was and like they knew that and they knew the situation. Like, it's just even more. I have cold
2: chills. No.
1: It's disgusting.
2: Oh, Oh my goodness. If they knew, they deserve to face whatever punishment. I hope that he, well, did he get charged with something? See, I don't even think those charges are enough. Well, he did. Everyone has no idea. No idea what is going on.
1: Yeah, it grossed me out. And, like, when I read that, I was kind of like, this dude I feel like Mm -hmm. there definitely is some undiagnosed mental problems with this man. Yeah. So, I mean, so, regardless, okay, this girl is now 14 at the time of his trial, and she's given birth to two children by Ricky at this time. Okay, also, where is this girl's parents? I didn't even think about that until just now. Yeah.
2: Because he would have been this man would have been in jail a long time before my child turned 14 uh, absolutely because my little sleuthhound is 11 if you think that I'm gonna let her be with some adult male oh my god it's like yeah. that
1: one show on Netflix where that family knows oh my god what's the name of that that the the girl like is being abused it's based on a true story by her oh my god oh, oh i will it you're gonna watch it Anthony and I watched it and the whole time I was like I know these people are not this stupid but they find out that she's being sexually abused by their neighbor and they just like he kidnaps her and they're like they pretend like it's fine and then like he says Mm -hmm. my therapist says that I need to sleep beside of her to help with my anxiety and this is after they already know that he's like have like been abusing their daughter, and they're like, Okay, sure, come on in. I oh mean, my
2: goodness. And,
1: like the whole time,
2: I'm like, I know these people aren't this dumb. I'm gonna share it with, I'll find it and I'll share it wow. with you. Wow, but let me say this too as a parent to an 11 year old, I am not, I'm probably the least violent person you will ever meet in your entire life. It's true, but if someone harms my child, I I'm capable of anything. Yeah. I'll just leave it at that. So, he he does go to jail
1: for all of 13 months. Oh, my goodness. And he later goes on to father two more children, though I don't think it was by this girl. I didn't see who was the mother of his other two kids, but,
2: yeah. And I would fear, too, if he's been with a girl who's that young, I feel like... There could be a trend. That's true. But obviously, if there's an attraction to a child. Ugh. Oh, no. Okay. Okay. So, so back, to, back to Ricky.
1: Yeah, back to the case. So, <laughs> Ricky, you know, we're back to the beginning, has been found dead. The badly decomposed body, police are baffled and all that stuff. So, what could have possibly happened to this recluse of a man? Like. I've got it.
2: Oh. Battery acid. <laughs> no, oh, no. Oh, I don't know. What could cause somebody to decompose. Oh, that's and true. Then maybe somebody was angry. Maybe they found out about him with being with this. Maybe it was the daddy of that girl. girl. <laughs> that's my theory. Okay, you tell me you tell me what you know and okay. we'll see if my theory holds it.
1: So there are some claims that Ricky was tied up in drug activity and that he died as a result of like, um Kind of like a drug deal or a drug, like a message gone bad. Believers um, okay. of this theory cite that in the weeks leading to his death, that Ricky made a few random trips to Florida. Hmm. And according to the woman he was dating when he died, her name is Sandra. Ricky made those trips to pick up marijuana.
2: And so... Uh, uh, that seems weird. Why can't you get... Listen. Again, I'm not an illegal drug user <laughs> we're not I drug lords. Lords. no i wouldn't i wouldn't have the first clue where to find marijuana yeah i don't but even know that it, i would know I what it would look go, like yeah my guess is i wouldn't have to go to florida to get it right yeah so he
1: go he's making these trips and that's what she thinks he's going for and you know she says that he regularly accepted offers to pick up and deliver packages for money. So that kind of le- lends credence to this theory that maybe he was like a courier of drugs or notes. Um, okay. She does go on to say that like in the weeks leading up to his death that he seemed like kind of unsettled or scared. And we'll kind of talk more about that behavior in a little while. Okay. Um, But the Christopher article says, like, it's unclear who Ricky went to meet when he went to Orlando on his last visit. But there were phone records that show both he and his girlfriend made a significant amount of calls to several places in central Florida um, before his arrival, which would kind of, to me, be like they're kind of planning things out. Mm
2: -hmm. And then
1: Sandra and Ricky exchanged a similar string of phone calls during the two days that Ricky was in Florida, And that he made at least one phone call to the St. Louis gas station where he worked. And there were some articles that said the gas station might have been, like, kind of shady and been involved Uh, with this type of stuff. Okay. So, according to Sandra, Ricky, like I said, did accept offers to, like, pick up packages and money. And, like, I just feel like that's a big red flag. Like, Mm -hmm. every time in any movie when you meet someone and they're like, take this letter to the corner of 7th and Waller oh, Avenue. Yeah, that's bad news. Yeah, you're a delivering drugs person. Like, right. you don't know it, but you are. Um, so, that's why you don't
2: have somebody else's luggage in the airport. Oh, life lesson number two. Like, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, like,
1: was it possibly somebody like... Capitalizing on Ricky's like maybe kind of disabilities or like how naive he was, or mm-hmm. am I just really naive and try to see the good in people and like just assume people are kind of taking advantage of him when really he knew what was going on? But the the marijuana story is credible because Sandra says that he would bring the marijuana back to smoke, which, like you said, if you're going to purchase marijuana. I mean, not. I'm assuming you just would do that in your own neighborhood or city. I don't think you would have to go all the way to Florida. But he would bring in Ziploc bags full of marijuana bundles that were like the size of baseballs. And so to me, that is like, I feel like that's a drug dealer status. Like, I don't know, but like, I don't think the like... Normal user has a baseball size thing of marijuana no. in there. Like,
2: All I've seen in movies, it's like real, like the joint.
1: Yeah. Or like just little, a lot. Yeah.
2: Not a baseball size of it. No.
1: So. Ricky returns from his last Florida trip just about two weeks before he dies. And it's then that people really start to notice the change in his behavior. So as Sandra said, um, he starts acting different, kind of like if somebody were to be after him. Um, I know I mentioned that Ricky did have some serious medical issues and he starts seeking medical attention in the days leading up to his death, almost as if he's using the hospital as, like, a refuge of
2: some kind. Oh, like, they're not going to come get me if I'm in a hospital.
1: Yeah, because around 3 o'clock in the afternoon on the 22nd, um, June 22nd, 1999, Ricky goes into Barnes-Jewish Hospital's emergency room complaining of chest pains and shortness of breath. And if you have ever had chest pains, I had to go to the ER with chest pains um, because I thought I was like literally having a heart attack. And it is scary because they mm-hmm. like rush you straight back there. You have to take X-rays of your heart. And my mother lied to me and said they wouldn't give me an IV, and they did. No, no. So just so you all know, right? Um, you're so get an IV. Yeah, you're going to get stuck with a needle. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ricky did have that serious heart condition and he did have asthma. So his visits with these complaints were not unusual. He had been a pretty frequent visitor to the ER with similar complaints since he was a little kid. Mm -hmm. So he told his doctors he didn't abuse drugs or alcohol, which his family backed up, but we obviously know is a lie because he smoked marijuana with
2: Sandra. Uh, And has baseball sized marijuana (laughs) balls. Yeah, (laughs) marijuana balls. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that tells you how uh, streetwise
1: Allison and I are. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And several places said that despite his health, like his heart issue and his asthma, Ricky was a chain smoker and would drink oh like goodness. up to 20 caffeinated beverages a day.
2: What? Yes. <laughs> like, I, I was his bad. Heart and did I'm not really, like. <laughs> two cups of coffee and a soda and I'm like oh my gosh there's so much caffeine I'm drinking no I hardly ever drink soda and if I
1: do like if I have a Mountain Dew Anthony can tell he'll be like did you drink a Mountain Dew today and then I'll be like maybe and it'll be like three o'clock in the morning and I'm in the bed and I'm like Okay, it's time to go sleep. Let's let's go.
2: (laughs) I want to rearrange our house. (laughs) Yeah,
1: let's paint something. (laughs) So doctors do rule out a heart attack, um, but they do keep Ricky for observation, just to kind of be sure. And they keep him in the hospital for two days, and he is discharged on June 24th. Um, They do give him uh, like orders for a follow-up visit, but he never makes those appointments. So now, this next little bit, I mean, like, if you can put behind the things we know about his past, it does right. kind of make me feel sorry for him. Um, after he leaves the hospital, he goes straight to his aunt Gloria's house, so the one who talked about like his experiences with the psychiatrist mm-hmm. um And in so many places that I've read, it said that despite the fact his own mother lived around the corner, he preferred to visit with Gloria and was actually much closer to her than he was his own mom.
2: Mm. I mean, I, we kind of saw that within names and the...
1: Yeah. And I do kind of, like, understand that. I do feel like aunts and uncles are able to form, like, a special bond with their nieces and nephews. Because it's, <laughs> like, they're a parent, but they're also, like, almost on a friend level at times. Because I know, like, when I was younger, things that my mom would say to me, like, if my aunt said it that I was really close to, it almost took on, like, a new meaning. Because, mm-hmm. it came, because it came from my aunt and not my mom. Right. Um, so according to the Christopher article, it said, quote, everybody needs someone to talk to. And this is Gloria talking now and then, she said, Ricky would come and visit and talk with me. But according to Gloria, he revealed very little about his life, the problems that he might be facing or like what he was doing. In his just day-to-day activities when he was with her. And Sandra Mm -hmm. said the same things about him. Like, he just didn't really reveal a lot. Not a lot about his trips to Florida. Not a lot about, like, what he was doing day-to-day. So, just very, like, recluse
2: and just, like, kind of private. So, basically, all we know is, like, speculation. Yeah. Basically.
1: So, around 5 p.m. on the next day, which was June 25th, Ricky entered the emergency room at Forest Park Hospital, which was less than two miles from Barnes' Jewish Hospital. Um, And a little tidbit of random information. If y'all don't already know, I'm, like, obsessed with abandoned houses and hospitals and, like, libraries, just, like, abandoned schools, like, all that stuff. Like, the thought of... The things, like, the memories that are there or, like, the life that this building had just kind of, mm-hmm. um, like, really intrigues me. And um, this hospital was abandoned, like, in the mid-2000s, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. And I literally spent, like, 45 minutes looking at pictures and <laughs> watching videos of people touring this place after it was abandoned. And it looks like it's kind of straight out of The Walking Dead. It's very, like, oh, like, when he wakes up and, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's kind of creepy. And, like, one time I made Anthony um, back in eastern Kentucky a—it was a hospital in a town, and then they used turned it into, like, a nursing home, and then it had been abandoned for a while, and they were doing, like, an auction of the stuff inside. I made Anthony, and you could, like, go in and look at the stuff— Oh, yeah. Of course, we weren't going to buy anything, but I was like, let's go. I want to go through this old hospital. And I was like, Anthony, let's just buy it because it's such a pretty building. And I was like, we could live here. We can make it a house. And he was like, oh, my gosh, um, you're go. nuts. He was like, yeah. people have died here. Right. <laughs> I'm with Anthony on this one. <laughs> so we just <laughs> buy it. And I was like, you can turn it into such a cool like bed and breakfast. And you could do like haunted houses and stuff. He was like, you're so stupid. (laughs) So unlike the last ER visit, when Ricky was complaining about chest pains, this time he comes in and says he couldn't breathe, um, which, you know, he has asthma. And doctors just kind of um, chalk that up to an asthma flare up. He isn't admitted. Um, He's released around six o'clock that afternoon. Um, And it's actually not clear when he left the hospital. Gloria, in a couple articles, said that he actually spent the night in the waiting room. And then left the next mm. morning, which kind of, again, points to him using that the hospital as kind of like a safety net. Right. So Sandra told police that she talked to Ricky on the phone at 1130 a.m. on the 26th. And he said that he was going to go to the gas station, get something to eat, and that, you know, everything was okay. Um, the last sighting that we have of Ricky was on June 27th. And so the day after that, and he was leaving the gas station, and had no idea that his death was only like days away because he's full sweep come full circle now has been found dead on June 29th. Okay. So those like last couple days for him were just hospital visits and right, and that's about it. That's about it. So Ricky's case does stay pretty cold for the most part um so cold in fact that fbi the fbi decides to take a huge step forward and let the public in on some like sensitive case
2: information so right they- which usually they don't do right we talk right. about that like they'll keep information back so that way they'll know if someone has insider information
1: Right, and what they release is very big in Ricky's case. They sit, they tell the public, and this is in 2011, so Ricky died in, Whoa. yeah, like, what was it, 1999? Yeah, so it's, like, it's a while. They tell the public years. Mm-hmm, that they actually found notes, like, on Ricky's body that were, like, encrypted. They're coded. And so they wanted the public to see if they could crack the codes, because... The FBI wasn't able to crack the codes. Um, according oh. to the which is crazy, and I will you will find out why in a second, because I was like, holy crap. So according to the unsolved murder of Ricky McCormick, to date the FBI crypto analysts and racketeering records unit, which is called C R R U have been mm. unable to decipher the baffling note, and they feel like this note could help solve Ricky's murder. Dan Olson, is chief of the FBI C RRU unit, said, quote, It doesn't happen often that we have an unsolved cipher of this length and significance. The characters are not random. There are many E's, for example, that could be used as a spacer. There are many characteristics that suggest it could be solved, many patterns. The problem is we don't know why it's not solvable, end quote.
2: Ooh.
1: I know there's I'm 30 intrigued. so there's 30 lines of this coded text including numbers, letters and parentheses. And mm. it's it's like it's weird. So it turns out there are actually a ton of theories about who could have, you know, created this code that was found in ricky's pocket and i'll go into detail about those in a second but this puzzle has stumped the world's best code breakers people around the world remain like just baffled about this it's actually on the fbi's list of it ranks third on the fbi's list of unsolved cases only behind like as far as codes only Mm -hmm. behind an unbroken code by the Zodiac Killer in 1969 okay. and a secret threat letter that was written to an undisclosed public agency about 25 years ago. So if you Google like the CCRU's unsolved codes, Ricky's is
2: third. Wow.
1: Yeah. Okay, I yeah, will definitely post it um, so that you guys can see it because, I mean, I feel like if anybody could break it, it could, it's going to be one of our sleuth
2: Oh, totally. I love riddles, too.
1: Oh, yeah. I feel like I this them. would be, like...
2: And not, logic problems. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like, I feel like... Yeah. As far as, like, the Rebus puzzles go, I tell you all, like, I really do. Like, I will sit and I've, like, started with my kids at school. I'll put mm-hmm. them up sometimes for them to do. Like, especially if I can find, um, like, if it's, like, Halloween, like, I'll put a Halloween one up or something like that. Um and like I'll sit and stare and stare at them. And sometimes I can't get them. And then like I'll finally figure it out. And I'm like, duh. Like it's so easy once you finally right. figure it out. So um the FBI typically, and this is why I was like, what? They usually unlock the meaning of codes in just a matter of hours. Wow, hours. That's wick. And this is So, P.S. Sleuthounds Allison and I are not recording together right now. So I'm going to send her um, a text message with a link to an article that has those um, codes in there. Okay. But, like, so we're a couple of hours. And this is, like, 11, 12 years later. So they're desperate. And, like, unlike the Rebus puzzles where I can Google the answer, they cannot (laughs) Google the answer.
2: got a little too excited (laughs) I was gonna say maybe they were sending it thinking like there's some secret code with friends like did you do that when you were little oh yeah like have a secret language or whatever But I feel like no kids could come up with a code that the FBI can't break
1: yeah exactly
2: like (laughs) which again
1: like one of the theories you're gonna be like I don't know cause
2: I just don't know So, um, so I totally was not picturing, so Maggie just sent me the link, and I was not picturing Ricky McCormick the way he looks. Yeah, I did not either, whenever I was, we'll
1: post this picture. Like, he just looks like, like average dude, like I just... Yeah. Yeah, which I guess we say that every time. They just look like an average person. So,
2: I'm looking at the code, and it's like little paragraphs almost with like circles around the different parts. And there's
1: like no spaces to indicate different words. So it's like you know a letter
2: has to be a space. Right. But then I mean there will be like on one part of it it'll say like I'm looking at the second picture and there's like Short phrases in parentheses, and it'll like I see a 71, and then in the line below it, I see a 74, and the one below it, I see a 75. Yeah, and they so gone, like years or something,
1: yeah. And they run those numbers, um, like well, I'll tell you. So, um, Dan Olsen goes on like quite a bit he does quite a bit a bit of explaining in that Christopher article that I've been citing um but he walks us through like his steps to break the code in that article and he says when McCormick's code originally hit like in that article it says when McCormick's code originally hit his desk Olsen attacked them as he always does counting characters and looking for patterns so just kind of like what you were doing He attempted Mm -hmm. to break them down naturally with graph paper and a pencil. He dissected the strings of letters and numbers on whiteboards amid the acrid whiff of dry erase markers. He employed computers with state-of-the-art software to perform statistical analysis. Olson worked on the codes for a solid two weeks, and he got nowhere. He even brought in other analysts to look at and brainstorm... Ideas. He consulted experts for clues. He compared the letters and numbers. So, like, how you almost said there's, like, a pattern. They looked to see mm-hmm. if that could possibly have been, like, street addresses in St. Louis. They looked at maps across the country. Um, but they didn't really hit anything substantial. It was more just all kind of, like, coincidence.
2: Mm. Like, have you ever... Okay. So, I buy... This is like the best gift for me ever, but uh, those puzzle books like you can get in the grocery store, but I love every puzzle in it. I love like filicrostics and the logic problems and things like that, but there's one type of puzzle that's a cryptogram. And it's what you just said. Like it's basically like code breaking, but for dummies. You were not like, you know, the FBI, CRRU. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you'll have to look and you say, okay, well, if the letter letter R repeats a bunch, it's likely a vowel and a more common vowel like an E. Yeah. And so you can like, and then, but it gives you a category, so it'll say like. I don't know, flowers. And so, oh, so you kind of can narrow it down a little, right? Exactly. So you could try to figure out, you know, which flower it is. And, but you do have to kind of see if you can see patterns, look for common letters, which likely again, represent a vowel or like an S or a T or something like that. So basically
1: tomorrow, Allison is going to have this solved. Just what she's saying.
2: <laughs> I'll have it solved by tomorrow. No, yeah, on Friday <laughs> it'll say Allison solved right. Ricky. Right. It I just took a look at lunch, you know, yeah. Yeah.
1: in between grading papers. Right. I quickly right. glanced at it and yeah. solved it. You're welcome, world. Right. Um, so there are the theories behind who has written the notes, um, and I'm going to talk about. I think I talked like three or four, maybe. Um, So, one, it's what I think we all kind of just naturally want it to be. Like, we want this note to be by the murderer, if he was murdered. Like, you know, the part of us that loves the mystery wants it to be that the murderer has, like, put some kind of secret clues into this, like, code. Um, And there are law enforcement agents that believe it is the killer but then there are Mm -hmm. also people who kind of think that the code was planted on Ricky's body to serve as a red herring to distract police away from locating the killer which I had never thought of because I guess my brain doesn't work like that but I was kind of like that's
2: genius in a way I mean it's absolutely genius but then at the same time I feel like like who thinks of that as a red herring like who, who is like you know what Let's put a code on him. Let's just draw that, words. Right. Let's just create something that's completely random and hope it throws them off. And then, like, like I get, you know, I get if they put like I don't know a, a, a random key.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. Like, that doesn't take a lot of thought or time, but something like that, I feel like. I don't know. And then, like, in 2011, when that's released, they're like, told you this would work. (laughs) Yeah, it paid off.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, There are, like, people that hold to the theory that Ricky wrote the notes. So, this is actually the most popular theory. And even Dan Olson says, quote, it is done in more of a format of something written to oneself than something written to someone else, end quote. Hmm. So, according to the Unsolved Murder of Ricky McCormick, that article that I talked about a little earlier, um, Ricky was obviously known for concocting tall tales and, you know, his like display of unusual behavior. Um, he was also reportedly, like I said, only semi-literate and some believed struggled with learning disabilities and mental health issues. Um, you know, if you remember the word that Ricky's mom called him. So, most people believe that Ricky wrote the note in a shorthand that he developed over the years. Um, Mm. And that's possible this note may never be deciphered because, like, I think I've said this before, but I always read my case to Anthony before Allison and I record it or at least try to. And he kind of talked about, like, if Ricky was, um, like, you know, handicapped or had a learning disability, then right. he might not even spell correctly. So yeah. like he might spell round like R-O-N-D and leave mm-hmm. out the U. So we would never know that to be able to decipher a code
2: written right. by him. You're right. Which I was like, he said that and I said, huh. Or could even like transpose letters. Like, yeah. you know, maybe it's supposed to be, I don't know, uh, like, maybe he just transper- um, but it's written like a U, because it's written upside down, yeah. or, or something like that. So, you know, perhaps that's why the
1: FBI can't get past the step number two, which is determining the system that's used. So, there is confusion regarding whether or not... Like Ricky's family kind of stands behind the capabilities of him writing this note. Some members of Ricky's family said that he could read and write, um, or that he could, sorry, that he could not read and write. And there was absolutely no way that he would have been able to form a complex coded message. There are other family members, though, that said Ricky had been writing in his own, quote, secret language since he was a mm-hmm. child. And this is kind of what you said, like when you make up, like, coded words with your friends and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this little tidbit of information from that, um, Unsolved Murder article, I was like, this is weird. But then Anthony was like, no, it's not. But unfortunately, we don't have any existing, like, handwriting samples of Ricky's. And at first, I was like, that's really hard to believe. Like, you don't have a grocery list, dude, right. wrote down, you don't have a telephone number. Right. But then Anthony was like, you know, if he wasn't, like, comfortable writing down things, he's going to avoid... Writing them down, so there probably wouldn't be anything to compare the note with. So, the third theory, and I'll lie to you all, this is the last theory, um, <laughs> was that Ricky was like curing, which I think is a very hard word to say, it's a lot of vowels. Um, <laughs> the note, so the unsolved murder of Ricky McCormick article states. Um, Cryptographer Alonka Dunnan contends that Ricky, this is a quote from that article, likely didn't write the note. Instead, after taking into consideration re, into consideration Ricky's education and background, Alonka suggests that he may have worked as a courier for coded messages for criminals. However, if Ricky was killed because he was curing notes for nefarious people, it seems odd that the killer would have left the note on his body to have it found by police, end quote. Right point. true. Like, why, if he is carrying back the code and, like, you're trying to let your other person know, like, we're going to meet here to do this deal or whatever, you wouldn't want police to find that. But I do kind of feel like we know... I do feel like maybe we know he was curing drugs so why would this be a crazy theory I don't
2: know Yeah I don't know. but they do think that this note could if cracked give some sort of indication of who he thought might be after him
1: They think that if the code is cracked that they will essentially it will help them solve the case They've said they don't know if it will give like locations maybe um maybe people that they need to be like looking at or looking for or people that were with ricky or the people responsible but um everything that i read said that police think that
2: this code is the key to this case all right well slew towns let's get cracking
1: we all love a good riddle we love working hard to solve a puzzle and the code in ricky's pocket are among the hardest codes left to crack these codes have stumped the best code breakers in the world. But I know you all can solve this case. You can break this code. Just remember the four steps. 1. Determining the language used. 2. Determining the system used. 3. Reconstructing the key. And 4. Reconstructing the plain text. If you are able to crack the code, you're urged to contact FBI Laboratories Analysis and Racketeering Records Unit at 2501 Investigation Parkway, Quantico, Virginia, 22135. Attention, Ricky McCormick Case. Good luck, sleuthhounds. Again, please like and join our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Twitter at Cases Coffee, on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast, or you can always email us suggestions to coffee and cases podcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon.
2: Stay together.
1: Stay safe.
2: We'll, we'll see, see you, you next week. week.